Hello, and welcome to episode 13 of Talking About My Generation, a pop culture podcast dedicated to the children of the 80s, 90s, and even into the 21st century. If you're new to the show, welcome. On this podcast, we'll discuss movies, video games, and television shows that we grew up with. And this week here, we are going through, on this momentous 13th episode, hopefully it's not bad luck for us, uh, I have my friend Eva joining me once again from Connecticut on the other side of the country. Uh, we're going to be talking about a, a 1985 kind of coming-of-age comedy drama slash thing called The Breakfast Club as we continue into our John Hughes spotlight. Uh, so Hi. Eva, I want to welcome you. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, so we've got some fun this week here. Hopefully, I don't have any more mic problems like I did last week. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> uh, for those of you who aren't aware, I am trying to get this taken care of here, so hopefully I don't have a problem with it. Uh, I, we are going to record another podcast tomorrow that we will go through and that will show up uh, at the end of next at uh, the end of next week, so that I can get my mic sent back into the company and get that repaired. So. Well, I will be kind of out of commission here for two weeks, but you guys will still have podcasts, so. Awesome. Uh, so let's kind of jump in here. We'll talk about Breakfast Club. Okay. Uh, what were your thoughts on this movie? You know, I, you know, once again, just like with 16 Candles and all those other ones from John Hughes, I, I did like this movie. Um, I saw it when it came out. Um, I guess 1985, I guess we were about eight years old then. And I liked it because I was really into Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall at that point, um, especially from 16 Candles. But a lot of it was kind of over my head, of course, because it's a teen, I hate the expression teen movie, but it, it was a teen movie. It was about teenage issues. And a lot of it I didn't understand, but I did kind of grasp the, the whole idea of people from different uh, walks of life, I guess, kind of coming together and banding together. So I did gravitate to that. Um, but as far as like a lot of like the sex talk and, and the insults and the, you know, the drives back and forth, I, I, I didn't quite understand a lot of it until I got older, but it was one of those movies that it was yeah. fascinating and it was also very thought provoking. I thought, and I still feel that way, even watching it as an adult, it's, it's very fascinating and thought provoking. And I think that Hughes did a wonderful job kind of capturing the, um, the teen spirit, the the essence of what it's like to be a teenager. Um, I think he really had a gift for showing the true teenager. So, yeah, and I think you're kind of right on that. I mean, yeah. he was it, it. The movie did capture a lot of that. Uh, I mean, even looking back now, you can still see a lot of the stuff that goes through with teen problems. Absolutely. You know. I mean, yeah, a lot of people consider it, oh, this is first world problems. You know what? I don't care if it's first world, third yeah. world. Yes. Kids still have some of these issues. There's still, you know, there's still things being bullied. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, there's still kids who are contemplating suicide. There's still kids. We have these particular types of kids in all walks of life in every school around the world. Absolutely. And it's like, yeah, like you said, they're timeless problems. They're timeless issues. And I think that Hughes did a great job capturing it very honestly. Um, and also, yeah, not condescending at all. I, I thought it was very well done. Um, yeah. And yeah, even watching it, I even today, I, I watched it this morning once again to prepare for this podcast. And it struck me, it brought me back to high school, which yeah. not, a, a, not a lot of movies do um, that feature teenagers. But this one, it really did bring me back to high school. And it's like, wow, I, it's, it's, it's crazy and it's amazing 
um, just how different they were, but in reality, how similar they were at the same time. Well, and I think that we've always seen things like that, that we've always had similarities between things. And, you know, let's kind of go into this here a little bit. Let's talk about what happens here with this. Uh, Basically, you have five kids. You have Emilio Estevez, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, Ali Sheedy. They're all thrown together in a basically a Saturday detention. And they all have to show up at school here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and let, I'll kind of get into who those characters are. We have John Bender, who's kind of the criminal. Yes. Um, Andrew Clark, who's the athlete. He's a wrestler. Uh, you got your smart, geeky kid, who's uh, Brian Johnson, who's played by uh, Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got your basket case, who's kind of just out there, kind of just, you know, she's the wallflower type that you see at the dance. Uh, yes. That's played by, that's Allison Reynolds. And then you have your princess, who's the rich bitch, you know, for for lack of a better way to describe her, uh, the rich bitch, Claire Standish, mm-hmm. uh, who's played by Molly Ringwald. And basically, they report for detention on a Saturday morning. They go to Shermer High School in Shermer, Illinois, which I'll get to that in a few minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're not complete strangers. They know who each other is. But, you know, each of them kind of comes from this completely different clique where you've got, yes. you know, like I said, the, the athlete, the jock, the nerd. Uh, you know, you've got your your out there bad boy type images. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really kind of don't have much in common. Uh, they're thrown into the high school library. They're ordered not to speak or move or do anything, sleep, nothing. Which uh, is so by, unrealistic. I have oh, to yeah, come on. For eight, eight or nine hours, really? Come on. I know, I know. <laughs> just, I, I was, I saw that and I'm like, really? Exactly. You expect them to sit there and do nothing and you're not even going to be in the room? Exactly. You know, the yeah. assistant principal comes in, Richard Vernon, you know, and Dick <laughs> tells them to sit down and shut up. Yes. Wasn't that wonderful that, they, yeah, his name was Richard? I, I thought that was great. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well, and Bender, you know, Judd Nelson's character even makes comments about, hey, Dick. Hey, Dick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, okay. <laughs> you know, and you knew that he was doing that on purpose. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes. But, you know, the, and the comment is that they are they are meant to remain there for eight hours and 54 minutes because he makes a point of saying it is 7.06 a.m. Yep. And you will be here until 4 p.m. type of thing. Yep. And he, he tells each one of them, I want you to write a thousand word essay uh, and you must say who you think you are yeah. and tell me about that. And then he like takes off and says, OK, you know, he comes in occasionally to check on him, mm-hmm. uh, especially after Bender starts screwing around with the door and. Pulls yes. the screw out. Yes. Uh, but, you know, he, he just kind of completely disregards the rules. He kind of, you know, gives the finger to to the principal and says, hey, you know, screw you. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Bender really is kind of just, he's the jackass of the group, and he kind of just incites them to go off and think for themselves in a sense. Yes, yeah. Uh, you know, he, he's doing that. Brian just kind of sit there. Brian and Andrew, they just kind of sit there doing a whole lot of nothing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Allison is just, She's really kind of just quiet and shut up into herself, you know. Very introverted, yeah. Yeah, you know, th- that typical thing. And they, they end up, you know, they do end up kind of relaxing a bit. And they do end up talking and kind of finding out a little bit more about each other. Uh, I know that they do kind of break out of the break out of the room to go to Bender's uh, locker to get pot. Mm, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Which I thought was kind of funny, you know. And that, that whole locker scene was just... You know, they they have this guillotine that he's got this guillotine that hangs off onto the bottom <laughs> locker, which I thought was like, 
what the hell? The guy has two lockers, which, you know, that kind of threw me. Oh, the, yeah, the one on the top? Yeah, that was a little weird. You know, he's got the one on the top and the one on the bottom. Did he, yeah. like, bully some nerd and steal his locker or something? Yeah, I thought that was weird, too. Yeah. You know, but be that as it may, you know, they they smoke the pot. They kind of sit around. They reveal their inner secrets to each other, you know, which, again, it, I would have thought Vernon would have caught them by this point, you know, that, oh, hey, absolutely. you're sitting around talking. That was one of the things I noticed when I was like eight years old. I'm going, okay, they're running through the halls trying to get away from him. Wouldn't he have heard it? They're smoking yes. pot. Wouldn't he have smelled it? They're talking loud and playing, blasting music and all this stuff. I'm going, oh, my God. Once again, you know, Hughes portrayed the unobservant adults. It seems to be a common theme in his Oh, yeah. Movie. Have you noticed that? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, very... 16 Candles, the adults completely oblivious to the fact yes. that Molly Ringwald's character has her birthday. Yes. Uh, you know, Ferris like, Bueller, they're, Ferris Bueller. you know, they're, they're like, oh, okay, you know, my kid's sick and, you know, completely un- unaware that, hey, he's actually in downtown Chicago on a fucking parade. Uh-huh. <laughs> It's just, so, yeah, once again, he does a great job, you know, accurately portraying the teenager, but then making the adults just so fucking unobservant and clueless. And it's like, wow. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it, I know that it's, these are just movies, but that's something that bugs me. Now that I'm a parent myself, especially, I'm looking at this from a different set of eyes and I'm going, oh, my God. No, 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 no. Yeah. No. <laughs> of course, <laughs> on, on the flip right. side, it's making you kind of realize <laughs> – Hey, I screwed around. I know what I did. I'm going to catch my kids trying to do some of this shit too. So. Exactly. It puts you. It puts it in a different perspective to know what to look out for. And I just, as a principal, especially if he's been a principal at the school for a long ass time, and he knows what he's dealing with with Bender, and you know the other people, you know, in there, the other kids weren't troublemakers necessarily, but Bender he had familiarity with. You yeah. think he would have been? You know, that's not that's something else. You think that he would have planted his ass? in that room and watch them for the entire eight hours. Knowing yeah. Bender as well as he did, that was something that struck me too. I'm like, why the fuck did he leave? It wasn't like he was doing anything all that important. I think in one scene they show, they pan in on him in his office and he's doing like this weird, he has like this weird like spinny contraption thing made out of pencils and a styrofoam cup, you know? Yes. It's like, what the fuck? You know, you're obviously not doing anything important. You're snooping through student files. You're playing with a little spinny contraption. Sit your ass in there and watch these kids, you know? Well, <laughs> I... I think that part of that was that he really hated these kids and he didn't want to have anything to do with it. He was pissed off at having to come in on yes. his day off. That's true. You know, yes. it normally would have been his day happy. off. Yes, he was not happy. He was angry. You could tell that he just – he was resentful and, yeah, he looked down on these kids. And that's something, too, that strikes me now that we're adults. You know, I can understand he's, – he's one of those characters, uh, Vernon, where I sympathized with him to a point – just because, yeah, I mean, he has to be there on a Saturday and, you know, watch these delinquents, whatever. Um, but he really, even to my mind now, he was really over the top with his anger and his abuse and his, like, aggression, especially toward Vern, uh, toward uh, Bender. I just was thinking to myself, God, in today's standards, I was the teacher for many years, and there's no way in hell he would have gotten away with that. No way in hell. Oh, yeah. You know, well, I mean, and, and he did make a point when he was threatening Bender when they because he actually does at one point when Bender does do his whole thing of running down the hall screaming I want to be a ra- airborne ranger and all that. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He ends up locking Bender in a room like yeah. in a broom closet, which yeah. I was kind of like, okay, one, you try to pull that off now, you know, anybody who sees it, he's they're going to get pissed off this that he's locking a kid in a room. Okay, yes. that's number one. Yes. Number two. 
you know, him threatening in, him threatening the kid there and saying, I'm going to come kick your ass when you don't know about it, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, it was kind of like, who's, you know, I, I understood his point of who the hell's going to believe you? Uh-huh. Here's some snot-nosed criminal kid yeah. who's from the wrong side of the tracks in a sense. Yeah. And, you know, you have an attitude, you know, you're just doing it to scream and get attention and everybody's going to believe me because, you know, I'm a stand-up guy. I'm controlling exactly. you little shits. Exactly. And I just, you know, as a former educator, it did bother me. Um, that's probably the one thing about the movie that I did not like was just the way he treated Bender and all the other kids. Um, understandably, you know, um, not, ha- you know, being resentful, of having to be there. But as a principal, was he a principal? He was a principal, right? He was the assistant principal. Yeah. Assistant principal. You know, as being that high of an authority, he threw his weight around and he was, he was abusive. And I do take issue with that. Um, but other than that, um, the movie I thought was very, very well done and very thought provoking. And I did like his character. Um, but I did feel that it was a little over the top in terms of, you know, really, you're, you're really, you want to kick a 17 year old's ass. Really? I mean, it just, you know, that well, just shows me that, okay, this kid really is getting to him. Maybe he's in the wrong profession. I don't, <laughs> I well, don't know. I, you know, and I kind of, I have to say, I kind of remember this same sort of thing with our high school, our, our high school assistant principal. You remember Mr. Wargo? Yes. He was an asshole. Yes, he was. You know, so, I mean, it was kind of like, it was kind of the same attitude. And I, I remember seeing that with him. And then when I saw Breakfast Club, I'm like, holy shit, this is Mr. Wargo. So, yeah, you yeah. know, to some extent, maybe that is just the stress and bullshit that assistant principals have to go through, mm-hmm. you know, and that that is their position. And it's kind of like, well, you're not the top of, you're not the top dog. So you have to take all the shit that comes down to you. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's why, maybe that's why he was portrayed this way. And the fact that, you know, I'm able to identify with our assistant principal in high school Kind of uh-huh. says that maybe this isn't maybe that Hughes captured that perfectly. <laughs> I, you know what? It's very it's very true. It's it's very common, unfortunately. You, you know, it's not. And even like with my daughter, my daughter's going into sixth grade, and her assistant principal. I've had to deal with her because my daughter has ADHD, and so she has, you know, there's something called an IEP that she has. That's a, basically an agreement between the school and myself and Christina to, you know, for her to really improve her education to make sure she gets the most out of school. And I've dealt with the assistant principal many times and she's not nice. <laughs> so yeah, yeah it, it, maybe that's, yeah, maybe he did accurately portray that. Um, but I felt that this movie overall did an excellent job in real, and just was really, really raw and really honest. And yeah. I mean, you know, we we do learn things about these characters here, which I thought was kind of interesting. You know, we learned that first off, we learned that Allison's a compulsive liar. Yeah. Andrew hates his father, even though, you know, he's trying to to live up to this image that he that his father's portraying for him. That you know, yes. he's got to be the best and he's got to be you know hot shit and all that. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know, John. We learned that he actually comes from an abusive household where his father beats him and burns him with cigars. Yes. You know, so we learn those things. We learn that Brian, you know, Brian, the brain, the the geek, that he actually contemplated suicide. Yep. Which it's kind of like, you know, and this is the this is the scary thing. But I I can identify with him on that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and we learn that Claire, who's this Miss Popular, you know, dressed up type, perfect little thing, that she actually really is is that she's this virgin, and we learn that you know because of that virginity, that she holds herself as this. I'm not perfect. I haven't slept around. I don't know what to do. You know, I don't fit in because 
everybody else is having sex and I'm not. Yeah, and she honestly, you know, she was trying to portray that, yes, I'm Miss Popularity, I'm Miss Queenie of the school, but yet I still have problems, too. My parents don't get along, they hate each other, they use me as a go-between and, you know, yeah. try to get back at each other. So even even though I felt her problems were the less serious of all of them, yeah, she, it was good that he addressed that and that it wasn't ignored and that it wasn't really, you know, it was well, it was real and it was, you know, the, yes, she, you know, everybody has yeah. problems, you know. And, and you know what, being that, you know, I'm going to say this here, being the virgin, yes, it is embarrassing during that high school period. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll be honest though, it's not all life ending. No, okay? it's not. It really you know, isn't. And, it's, it's, I'm going to say this for any kids that might possibly be listening to this, which God help me if you are, because I'm sure you're going to be getting much more of an education in your vocabulary than you need. But, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to say this. Ha- not having sex is not a life ender, okay? Not it's not all. something to go commit suicide over. It's not something to, you know, to kill yourself over. It's not something that oh shit, my life is over because I didn't pop my cherry at 16. Exactly, and it's not something that your friends, if you have true friends, are going to really look at you and go, oh, you're still a virgin. Oh, I can't be friends with you. You're not cool. You know, it's yeah. the, the people that really matter aren't going to give a shit, and that's, you know, but and that's, that's why I say I think that, and not that I'm downplaying Claire's issues in this movie, but I do feel that overall they're not as serious as the other characters. The yeah, the characters had some really, really serious issues well, that they were grappling with. I'll say this, and that being that virgin, it can mess you up because, especially if you're put up on this pedestal as being the most popular person in high school, mm-hmm. you know, I can see how it messes you up when everybody has this perception of you, and you're yeah. hiding the fact that you haven't actually had sex, and everybody thinks that you have. Yeah. I can see how it would mess you up that you're you're basically putting on this complete facade as to who yes. you are. And that extra pressure of, oh, my God, I have to put forth this image of myself every single day when I go to school. Absolutely. I, yeah. I can see, you know, and I'm not downplaying that as well at all. But um, it just, yeah, and it was very, the whole way that it, it came out was just brilliant how it the whole you know the coming out of her being a virgin and all of that yeah um it was it was very well done and the kids all they kind of heckled her a little bit but ultimately because brian was still a virgin yeah and let's kind of get to that because that whole thing comes up he's you know judd nelson is kind of getting on brian for being you know for being a virgin because i mean Mm -hmm. it's it's pretty obvious that he is a little (laughs) geek you know us geeks, and I'm going to say this for women, for those who are listening, us geeks, we're pretty hot in bed. Why? Because <laughs> if you've ever watched – okay, I, I'm going to talk about this on Revenge of the Nerds because they mention this on Revenge of the Nerds when we get to that uh-huh. episode. Uh-huh. Uh, they talk about – you know, Lewis sits there and he tells them, he says, yeah, we – you know, us nerds, you know, we're better than jocks in bed because all we do is we sit and think about sex all day. Damn, all jocks right. think about is sports. That's okay, right. yeah. I'm, I'm going to clue you in on that, women. <laughs> Pay attention to this. And keep in mind, I'm going to say two things here, okay? Mm-hmm. Yes, jocks make a lot of money. Michael Jordan is probably one of the most famous jocks of all time. He's probably one of the most expensive jocks, okay? Yeah. You know, he's got tons of money. However, one geek, two geeks, actually, I'll make points of this because, yeah, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of athletes out there, but two geeks to name, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh yeah. Bill Gates. Let's see. Oh, that's right. He's what is it? The richest man in the world. Yeah. Steve Jobs. Before he died, he was one of the richest men in the world. 
Yep. Mm. And they made more money per capita than uh, than Michael Jordan, than you know, uh, oh god, than Manti Teo is gonna make, than you know Tiger all these. Woods. Oh yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. you know, and, and okay, look, let, let's make it a shining example of Tiger Woods. Oh god. Okay, <laughs> Tiger Woods slept around with a bunch of women. Where is he now? Divorced, yeah. you know, nutless, basically in a sense. Uh, yeah. You know, everybody knows that he's a womanizer now. Yeah, you know, the game has suffered too, big time. You yeah, know? you know, so yeah. and, and when your game suffers, guess what happens? Yep. You stop making money. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know. I wanted to actually start. Can we start with the beginning scene as the kids are being dropped off? I thought that that was very yes. Um At the very beginning, it shows the kids pulling up to the school for the detention. And you get a glimpse of each, you know, what they're talking about in later scenes about their family life. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I thought it was very telling looking at this. I mean, I've seen this movie a hundred times, but really studying it as I'm doing now for these podcasts, you know, it was very interesting. I never really noticed some things before, but like Claire, you know, they pull up with the dad in the BMW. So you see the BMW, you see Claire yeah. and her dad, and he's looking at her with, I thought this creepy, like, smug look on his face and just kind of indulging his little princess. She's complaining about having to be there on a Saturday, you know, and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, let's, let's remember the reason that you're here. Little pretty princess. Okay. Obviously you cut class to go shopping. I think was what, what her offense was. Yes. Um, but you know, I'm just sitting here going, okay, now, now if that were me and I got caught cutting class to go shopping, my mom, my dad would have had my ass in a fucking handbasket. I would not have been indulged at all. I would have been, in so much trouble and the dad was looking at her like just all with this creepy like love look in his eye she's well, given him like she was the molly ringold i have to say was like brilliant with her like teen looks rolling the eyes sighing yeah. you know her her expressions are just well, priceless in all of these movies and she just looked at him like oh my god gag me with a spoon and he's like oh it's okay dear it's okay that you got detention Mwah. well i <laughs> I think that the reason for that was because I, – I, I don't remember them actually saying this 100% for sure, mm-hmm. but I kind of got the feeling like they were divorced, like like his, her parents were divorced because I could have sworn that she said something about mom being strung out in the Caymans while he was taking care of her. Um, I you know I think she did, but I believe that they were together because there was a scene where Judd Nelson was asking her, who would you – you know, who do you like better, your mom or your dad? Who would you want to – you know – if they split up. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because she said, yeah, I feel like any minute there's going to be a divorce. So, no, they were married. They were married. Um, and she had said, I'd rather go live with my brother. I don't want to live with either one of them. They're both fucked. But I just found it interesting that he's, like, indulging her. And you can see that she is this little indulged little princess. Yeah. And then, like, the glimpse with Brian with his mom in, in their car. The mom was a fucking bitch. <laughs> yes. Well, and, and now here's something I have to point out. This is a little bit of trivia that I found out. Oh, okay. Yeah? That actually was Anthony Michael Hall's mother, and that no was his way. little sister in the car. Yes. No, wait, really? Yes. I did not that. Yeah. Um, that was. Uh, oh God, what's what's her name? Uh, Mercedes Hall. That honest. actually is his mom and I his didn't... little sister. They were dropping him off, you know, to do the shoot, and Hughes just was like, "He goes, look, we need a mom and a, and a daughter. Boom, you're it. Oh, Jump right in." Wow. That is so cool. I did not know that. Very cool. Yeah. So, I mean, when 
when she's giving up. him shit, when she's giving him shit, she actually has it to a T, and it's kind of like, and, and that the whole eye roll, and you can see he was afraid of his mom, and that was, I'm thinking, oh shit, they, that was really my mom, and she's giving me the riot act like that. Yeah, you know, it's, to some extent, you can see him kind of in the back of his mind going, yeah, yeah, I've heard all this before, but yes, it's very, you know, that's very interesting because now I can watch it again and know that that, you know, they're all related and see, wow, this were, it was acting, but it was almost kind of not. I mean, it yeah, was very you know. But yeah, she was a bitch, you know, and pushing him to study and all that. So you get to see again with Brian the pressure that he's under from his parents to be, you know, yeah. straight A student and be perfect. And then Andy with his dad, the dad was a complete jerk off, you know, the, the dad berating him about messing up and all he seems to care about is him blowing his ride is, you know, his scholarship to college and all of that. Yeah. And so there's the pressure that Andy's under to be the best athlete. Um, and then I thought it was interesting too. You see Bender coming to school and he's walking to school. So there's nobody dropping him off. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty telling, you know, and then Allison, I thought that this was the most interesting aspect is that when Allison pulls up, she's in the back seat and I, you can't see the parents. There's no interaction. They don't show Allison interacting with any parent. She just gets out of the back seat and she kind of leans forward to kind of like, as if to say goodbye or yeah. to kind of get some sort of acknowledgement and the, and the mother or the father, whoever it was just drove off. And so you kind of get a sense there. Oh, she definitely is ignored. She's definitely not a priority. She's in the back seat like a peon, you know, of the parent's car. And I think it was the dad. I want to say it was the dad that dropped her off. But I because I think in the credits, I did see something like Allison's dad. And there was a credit for Allison's dad. Um, but we never see the parents and we never see any interaction there. But there's enough there to go, hmm, this girl is a yeah. This girl, she's, yeah. she's ignored because she's crazy or she's just, you know, this problem child. And it's kind of like we don't want to deal with it, so we just don't talk about it. Yeah, and I, and even watching it, you know, this morning, I'm like, wow, that poor girl. I immediately felt sympathy for her because it was just like, oh, my God, she's trying to say goodbye or, you know, I can get some acknowledgement from her, you know, parent. And they just, like, peel away, you know, after dropping her off. And it's just like, oh, that poor girl. So yeah. I felt that the very – the scenes of the very beginning were very telling for the – you know, to set the scene for the rest of the movie in terms of what they deal with individually at home and with their family life. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was kind of important to mention. And I thought also, too, it was interesting that because they were different, you know, from outward appearance, you know, their first yeah. impression when they when they first get together, it was, I thought it was very well done how awkward it was. You know, they're checking each other out. They're, you know, yeah, it's awkward. They don't they know who each other is, but they don't know their names. You know, it was so well done. Um, Bender riling everybody up, um, which he did brilliantly. Uh, yes. And I also, I have to say, too, I thought that Bender had not only the most problems in the movie, but also the, the funniest lines. He, oh, he, yeah. He cracked me up from start to finish with the things he said. And, and, and a lot of the things that he, the expressions that he said, this was 1985. I'm still saying this stuff in 2013. It's hilarious. Yes, you know? it still applies. And, and like when, <laughs> when he pulls the screw out and the door closes and he yes. goes, you know, and then he goes, I heard a ruckus. What sort of ruckus did you hear, sir? You know, what yeah. could you describe the ruckus? <laughs> And, and you can tell it was kind of this smart ass, you know, flip the yeah. finger off while the teacher's turned around type thing, you know? Yes. 
I just love like even like eat my shorts. I mean, I still yeah. say eat my shorts. Or do you, can you hear this? Do you want me to turn it up? You know. Oh my <laughs> god, I have used that so many times, oh, and I'll sit there and I'll have my finger. I says, hey, can you hear this? Let me turn it up for you. Let me turn it up. For I you. still do that. I love how he was talking about Andrew wrestling. And he's like, oh, I want to be just like you. I figure all I need is a lobotomy and some tights. I mean, there's yes. just so many <laughs> there's so many things that he says in this movie. And But I think my absolute favorite, even though it was insulting to Brian, my absolute favorite was when he called him a Neo-Maxi Zoom dweeby. Yes. Um, <laughs> that was my, you know, even still to this day, I've never heard that line. I think that it was completely made up for this movie. I don't, I don't know if he improvised yeah. that. Oh, yeah, he was lot- totally ad-libbing for that. Oh, my God. It was brilliant. It was so brilliant. Neo Maxi Zoom Dweeby. And I just, you know, and you could see Anthony Michael Hall, you know, put his head in his lap and he's just humiliated. But this, you can't help but laugh at that. It's hilarious. Well, yeah. And, and you don't know, really. I mean, it, it could, for all we know, it could have been, you know, Hall putting his head in his lap because he was trying to hide the fact that he was laughing. It's very true. <laughs> it's very possible because that is such a funny as name to call somebody and it's totally made up. And yeah, I, I would, I'd be willing to bet because I know a lot of this movie was improvised. I'd be willing to bet that that line was improvised and Judd Nelson, it was brilliant. I, I well, love it. And you know, Judd Nelson, he actually, he kept in character even off screen. He did. Yeah. Which that actually turned into a problem with Hughes and Hughes just thought he was a complete asshole. And you know, he's like, they were already shot. They'd already shot this thing. They're like, okay, look, we're going to have to stop, you know, and he thought about recasting him at one point, and he was just like, you know what, screw oh, this. Really? When they were all done, he says, you know what, I'm never going to work with Judd Nelson again. He's a complete oh. asshole. Oh, no. It worked against him. Yeah, Did which, he? you know, I mean, Molly Ringwald, because he was really kind of going against Molly Ringwald, and, and they actually had to convince Hughes that, you know, they need to keep, excuse me, that they need to keep him, uh, you know, just because it was, you know, he was this asshole, but they're like, you really need to keep this guy. They had to convince him that he was a great actor and they finally kept him. Yeah. But Hughes is like, I'm never working with this guy again. Did he ever work with him again? Do you know? No, he never worked with Hughes again oh. because he just had such problems. Because that to me, I'm assuming not knowing enough about acting, but isn't that called method acting when you do that, when you stay in character? Yeah, but I mean, basically he just kept getting angry because, you know, Hughes was taunting or he was taunting um, Ringwald off camera. Oh, he was. He was oh, basically staying know. completely in character. And there's, you know, there's a limit. I get Daniel Day-Lewis with his whole method acting when he was in My Left Foot and uh-huh. when he did Lincoln and all that. Yeah, Lincoln, yes. I get those things. I, I understand kind of the mentality behind it. But at the same time, if you're there's a limit to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you need to learn to shut it off just for a few minutes. If you're a good actor, you should be able to shut it off and come back. Yes. It, it doesn't give you a license to be a complete asshole to people that you're working yeah. with. So, I, yeah, I knew that he had stayed in character for this, but I didn't know that he was really giving Molly Ringwald a hard time off camera, too, which that I have, I lose some respect for not, for, you know, Judd for that. That's not cool. Yeah. That's not okay. Um, I, don't you know typically i think it's really neat when actors can stay you know to do the method acted thing thing and they can stay in character and whatever and really embrace the role um but it was not a likable role and i can imagine that he probably did have some issues with the reputation and with casting and in future films after that because yeah that's he played the asshole very very convincingly yeah now i do want to kind of just touch real quick because this is it's. I'm going to spoil the movie a little bit for everybody. 
uh, because you really don't get this until about three quarters of the way through the movie. Uh-huh. Uh, I want to spoil because it was kind of one of these things that it didn't – I didn't really pick up as to why everybody was there exactly. Yeah. Even though I saw the scene, it wasn't really made clear to me. So I want to kind of emphasize this for people who are watching the movie to kind of look for this. Yeah. Uh, the reasons that they were all there in detention. Mm-hmm. Bender pulled the fire alarm. You know, he, he kind of just did it because he wanted attention since he got none at home. You know, he had the abusive yeah. dad that's like, you know, and he kind of had this attitude of, well, I'm going to take any attention I can get. Yeah. So whether it's negative or not. Yeah. You know, Brian, his he had a flare gun that went off in his school locker. And the reason that he had the flare gun at school was that he was going to commit suicide. He was going to use it, pull the trigger, and blow his head off. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, that's really dark. Yes, it but, is. But, you know, it, it's it, – you know, and afterwards he said – he goes, you know, it was kind of – you know, people are like, that's kind of funny that the gun went off. And he kind of laughed about it afterwards and he goes, yeah, it kind of was funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Andrew got in trouble because he taped a guy's ass together. Yeah. He, you know, he, he – I'm sorry. He taped his buns together – uh, to try and prove to his dad that he could be like, you know, his dad. Yeah. And he made he made comments about how they had to peel the tape off and remove the hair off the guy's ass. And, you know, it actually yeah. took some skin off and all that. Oh, sad. Oh. You know. But it, it's to some extent, it's kind of the same thing that, you know, jocks do. They're assholes and they'll do stuff like that. Yes. Very true. You know. Uh, Claire, you know, obviously we, we've already talked about this, that she got in trouble. She got the attention because she ditched school to go shopping. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously shopping was really important to her and, you know, fashion and high fashion and all that. Yeah. And that kind of, we kind of see that when she goes to eat lunch, but we'll get to that. Uh-huh. Um, and then Allison, I, you know, I, I don't get this. She was there because she said she didn't have anything else to do that day. Yes. Okay. Yes. So here's my problem with this. Why didn't the assistant principal go, why the hell are you here? You don't belong. Yeah. If you don't yeah. have anything better to do today, get the hell out of here and go do something else. Yeah, that's true. That's a little – honestly, maybe he didn't know the re- the individual reasons for that. Well, he had to have because he had them all you know, in the office mm-hmm. there. He probably was the one who punished them and told them they have detention. You know, that's true. That's actually kind of a little plot hole. He should have said – you don't belong here. You didn't do anything wrong. Go go to the park. Go to the yeah. library. Do something. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. I don't want you hanging around these losers. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, and, and you know, me saying losers, that was kind of his attitude of carrying through because uh-huh. to some extent they really weren't losers. They were just no. people who didn't fit, you know, who got yeah. into trouble for things because they felt that they didn't fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very that's a very good point. You know, so mm-hmm. uh, now I know we've talked about the plot. We've talked about some of these characters. We we talked about a little bit. I do want to touch on who the cast members are, kind of give you a little yeah. bit of background on them. Sure. Uh, the very first one that I have here on my list, we have Emilio Estevez. Uh, yes. You know, he played as Andrew Andy Clark. Uh, mm-hmm. He's been in a lot of other things. He was in Men at Work with Charlie Sheen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was Coach Gordon Bombay for the Mighty Ducks, one yep. through three. I was just thinking of that, Mighty Ducks, uh, yep. You know, him and Josh Jackson together, you know, and there was – there actually was something that came up about that because they went to school in Mighty Ducks 3. Uh-huh. They they were going to like go to this prep school. All the team was going to go there for college – for like a hockey scholarship. Uh-huh. And Bombay walked away from the show. Milo Estevez actually said he didn't want to do the show. He didn't want to be the coach, didn't want to be tagged as, you know, this character in this thing. Uh-huh. And Disney said, okay – Fine, we're going to let you do this film, 
Well, you know, he wanted to do his own directorial thing and his own directorial debut. And they said, okay, fine. Oh. If you do Mighty Ducks, we will produce your film. And he said, ah, okay. Really? Yeah. So he, oh. he actually got a chance. And that was his directorial debut. They Disney said that we'll pay for your film to go out and, and distribute the film, produce it, and all that. Very cool. But you have to do Mighty Ducks. And so he said, fine, I'll do a small portion of it. He came back to show up in Mighty Ducks 3. It's only mm -hmm. a small part, but he does show back up. Uh, he was also in Young Guns, St. Elmo's Fire. Yep. Uh, and then, of course, there, there's an incident that I'll get into later, but we're, we're going to talk about him and Charlie Sheen and Martin Sheen because Martin Sheen's his dad, Charlie yep. Sheen's his brother. Yep. You know, so we got that crazy tie link there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we have Anthony Michael Hall as Brian Johnson, who, mm -hmm. if you've been listening to the podcast, you know kind of some of the things that he's been in. Yep. I've reiterated this. I'll reiterate it again, you know. Barf it back up for you guys. <laughs> uh, you know, here goes. Weird Science, Vacation, Dark Knight, Dead Zone, Edward Scissorhands, 16 mm -hmm. Candles, Johnny B. Good. He yeah. has he has a fairly good rap sheet in you know, a sense for what he's done. If you're yep. if you're still looking for more than, than the big stuff, IMDB. Thank you very yeah, much. That's an awesome website. Yep. Uh, Judd Nelson, he was John Bender. Mm -hmm. uh, he also showed up in St. Elmo's Fire. Uh, he was now. I remember him for this this role primarily, as well as the Breakfast Club. Uh, he was the editor on. He was the editor for the Gate on Suddenly Susan, which the Gate was like a newspaper that they had in San Francisco. Yes, yes, with Brooke Shields. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, I also remember him for this movie because this is one of my favorite movies when I was growing up as a kid. Uh, was the Transformers animated movie? He was Hot Rod slash Rodimus Prime. Know that. So yeah, he was he was yeah. the voice of those characters there, which he did come back to reprise those roles later on in the TV series. Uh -huh. So it was kind of nice. I like that. You know, I I love having that little bit of trivia about him. Yeah. But to be honest, again, you know, he's kind of playing the same kind of roles here for uh, for these movies here, with the exception mm -hmm. of with the exception of Transformers. He's kind of still playing this major asshole. You know, I have to interject with something too. <sighs> I hate to say, I hate to admit this. I'm going to admit this. I read the Inquirer, and I know that a lot of it is not necessarily accurate. I'm well aware of that. It's purely for the entertainment value, but they don't they don't talk about him a lot, especially in recent years. But even mm -hmm. growing up, I don't know if it was because of him being a method actor and and staying in character, but he was not really portrayed. You know, in terms of like his dealings with you know just everyday life and everyday people, um, his reputation is such that yes, he's a major asshole in real life too. And I don't know. Again, I mean, I've seen interviews with him, and he seems like a totally cool, laid back guy. You know, have, kick back and have a beer with. You know, yeah. But I don't. You know, that's something that yeah, maybe the you know those magazines, those trash mags, maybe they do kind of help facilitate that. Um, reputation with you know actors and actresses but he's definitely not been portrayed well in no <laughs> no, no i can say that from what i've what i have seen of him you know in terms of interviews and whatnot he seems totally cool but come to your own conclusion i guess yeah I, you know i'm just he's he is who he is and i understand that but mm -hmm. At the same time, I wouldn't want to work with him. I'm sorry. Probably not. He'd probably be a little too volatile. That's I've heard the same thing about Christian Bale as well. So it's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, everybody has their problems. Bill Murray, everybody kind of says they don't like working with him because he's kind of huh? this swelled head, you know. And Uh-huh. 
Mm-hmm. Now, it, it is what it is. So, yeah. uh, moving on here, we'll talk Molly Ringwald again. You know, we've been mentioning her throughout all the John Hughes films. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's kind of been John Hughes' baby up until Pretty in Pink. And when we get to Pretty in Pink, when we record that, I'll bring that stuff up too. So, mm-hmm. yep. uh, but she's been, you know, she was she was Clara Standish in this film. Uh, she's been in Pretty in Pink. She's been in Sixteen Candles. Uh, she was in the TV show Townies. Uh, she was in, you know, she's currently in Secret Life of the American Teenager. Yeah. Uh, and then she had this, she had this small bit role, which was kind of, they threw her in there on purpose because she was this teen idol, you know, this teen yeah. movie idol. Uh, she was in Not Another Teen Movie. I was just going to say, yes. <laughs> which I, I love that because there's a point in there where uh, you see like the, you see like the hot guy and the hot girl, they kind of get together and they, you know, they have this kiss and she kind of points out and she goes, Really? You're going to yeah. go for him rather than the guy who actually loves you and you're going to end up with this. And it's it's a stab at Pretty in Pink, but like I said, we'll get to that. We'll get to that when we record the Pretty in Pink podcast tomorrow. So, uh, But yeah, there, there's stabs with that and she kind of goes, you know, she kind of says that. So that's one of my favorite things about that. But Funny. Uh, we also have Ali Sheedy. Now, Ali Sheedy, I, you know, I have to say that in this film here, I didn't really care for her character. She seemed yeah. just kind of strung out. Although when Molly Ringwald's character did go through and put makeup on her, put the uh-huh. headband on, yeah. actually take her out of the black and put some white yeah. around her. That was a really good scene. I she really liked looked, scene. she looked cute. You know, I was kind of like, okay. Yeah. You know. She really cleaned up well for that. And that was actually, I, I have some trivia about that. We can get to later, but yes, that was a, that was a very good scene. I liked that. Scene. You know, but I have to say, I thought she looked better in that in that scene than she did in some of the other movies, like War Games yeah, that she was yes, in with Matthew Broderick. Short or circuit. wasn't she in Short Circuit? Yes, she, yeah. uh, you know, Short Circuit. She was in Saint Elmo's Fire as well. Uh-huh. Uh You know, right. again, again, kind of the whole Brat Pack thing. Yeah, I was uh, going to say now were all these actors that were in um, Breakfast Club were they all considered Brat Pack, and as well as Rob Lowe? Or... Pretty much. I mean, Brat Pack basically you had you had some core people, and they kind of shifted people around in and out. Yeah. Uh, you know, you Demi had Moore, yeah, Demi Moore, Rob Lowe, yeah. uh, Emilio Estevez, Anthony uh-huh. Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, uh, right. Andrew McCarthy, James Spader was kind of in and out of that as well. Yeah, he was. You're right. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of it, it's kind of this whole group of characters here, but you know, that's really kind of who you see for that Brat Pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but eh, it, it, it's you know they have those characters in there for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, coming on to some of these other characters, we have Paul Gleason. Uh, yep. He was Richard Dick Vernon, the school assistant awesome. principal. Uh, he <laughs> he kind of seems to be typecast, or he kind of was typecast before his death. Uh, he was the dean for uh, the movie Van Wilder with Ryan Reynolds. That's right. Yes. Uh, he was the college dean, Dean Borak, on Boy Meets World. I never saw that, so but oh, it was it was kind of interesting because it was when Corey starts, you know, when Corey and and um, his friend they go off to college, mm-hmm. and Topanga kind of follows them along. You know, they're they're at colleges and whatnot, and they're they're growing up and becoming you know kind of the men of the world. Yeah. And they go to school and they see instead of having you know Principal Feeney, they have Dean Borak, and it's the oh. same type of thing, and it's just. He kind of plays this asshole here. Uh, he also he also tends to play he also tended to play uh, police roles because he was Captain Dave Herzog on One West Waikiki, which oh, was wow. I want to say I, I remember seeing the show uh, when I was a kid that he was yeah. kind of like uh, it, it kind of took place on like my uh, what was it um, 
uh, w not WGN, UPN or something like that. Or it was some syndicated show, if I remember correctly. Yes, I vaguely remember that show. Oh my gosh! And for for those friends of mine, Stephen Ring, if you're listening to this, you'll know who he is. Here, he was the deputy police chief, Dwayne T. Robinson, in Die Hard. Oh, I'll be darned! Which I don't think I've seen Die Hard. That's right. I think we discussed that at one. Oh point. Oh my I, god! I, <laughs> oh my god! That's it. Our friendship's over. <laughs> talking about that like you've never seen die hard what's wrong with you <laughs> yippee ki yay motherfucker yeah you're gonna have to sit down and watch that that's I all there am. is to it it's yes. it's a great film you know it's that's probably one of the you know friends of mine say that that's one of the best christmas movies ever die we'll hard. cover that when we get to that when we get down the line that's one that we'll have to discuss very cool i i will watch it definitely uh, now one character that really we we kind of didn't really talk about in the plot but he he's not really a major character yeah he kind of shows up as carl reed the school janitor yes the janitor uh, yes. that was played by john Kapalos. yes and uh, he was the oily bohunk fiance in 16 candles huh Yes. Yes. I thought, you know, it's so funny because I had seen him, you know, I've seen this movie, like I said, a hundred times. I've seen 16 Candles a hundred times, but it did not connect to me until I watched it yesterday. Yes. And I'm like, wait a minute. He looks really familiar. And I don't yeah. know why that happened, but the light bulb went off and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the oily bohunk. I'll be darned. I don't know what else he's been in, but now I'm so we... glad I made that connection. When we get on to some of the others, when we go to finish out our, our spotlight with Weird Science, he shows up as Dino in Weird Science. Oh, I'll be darned. I haven't seen that yet, so I'll be oh. seeing that to do the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, there, and there's a bunch of characters in there that will have, you know, Bill Paxton, uh, Anthony Michael Hall, you oh, know, wow. Kelly okay. LeBron. So I mean, we'll, we'll cover all that when we get to that movie as well. Yeah. Uh, he also what's, what's, was. What's the actor's name? I'm sorry. What's his name? John Kapalos. John Kapalos. Okay. Mm hmm. Uh, he also was in Steve Martin's Roxanne. I, uh, I don't know if you remember this film back in back in the late eighties. Uh, it was kind nose? of a Cyrano, uh, Cyrano Bergerac type thing where he had this big nose and he was kind of yeah. falling in love with a woman. Uh, he played he played as Chuck, who was one of the firefighters. Oh, uh, and then he had a recurring role on uh, a Canadian television series called Forever Night. Uh, he played oh. as Detective Don Shanky. And Forever Night was basically, uh, if you don't know about it, it was a, it was a show about an 800 year old vampire who was he was a homicide detective, uh -huh. uh, who was trying to right wrongs by working the night shift because he he killed all these people here and he felt bad about it and he was trying to, you know, he was trying to put forth and and possibly become you know become a better person because he'd oh. killed all these people in past life. Yeah, you know, interesting. So he's been acting for a long time then. Yes, I don't, know yeah. if still, I don't know if he's still acting, but actually he is. He's got quite a few stuff, according to IMDb, that he's oh. in. Uh, he's in post production or filming with right now. So very cool. Most of it, most of it's kind of bit roles. You know, they're character roles type thing. You know, character actors where you just kind of see him out of the side. You know. Yeah. But hey, guy's working, so I got to give him that. Absolutely. You know. Mm -hmm. uh, Kind of moving now. I, I do kind of want to move into production notes a little bit about what sure. was going on with the film here. Uh, we had Ringwald and Hall. They both showed up in Hughes's uh, eighty-four film, sixty-four, nineteen eighty-four film, sixteen candles. There we go. <laughs> uh, toward the end of filming, Hughes did ask them to both be in the Breakfast Club, and Ringwald was originally uh, she was originally approached to play Allison. Oh, really? Uh, but she was really upset because she wanted to play Claire, and she actually had to convince John Hughes and the studio to give her the part of Claire, which oh. I'm kind of glad for because 
I couldn't see her being the moody, quiet bitch, you know, quiet, no, compulsive liar. No. Nope. You know, this was really a better role for her playing I, part of Claire, I think. I agree. Uh, Estevez, he actually auditioned for the role of John Bender. Really? So he was going to be that asshole in the, in the coat, you know, the tough guy, abused yeah. character. Yeah. And John Hughes, he he said, well, you know, he was looking around. He's kind of like, okay, well, I can't find anybody to play Andrew Clark. You know, mm-hmm. I can't find anybody to play the jock. Well, he recast Estevez as uh, Andrew Clark. Yeah. Now, Nick Cage, you know, Nick Nicholas Coppola, Nick Cage, he was originally considered for the role of John Bender. And yeah. Bender was the last role to be cast. And it was actually going to be between John Cusack and Judd Nelson. Really? John Cusack? Yes. Now, really? Hughes, Hughes had eventually cast him to be Bender. But Hughes decided oh. to replace him with Nelson because – when uh, when he looked at it, he kind of goes, you know what, John Cusack, he just doesn't look like he's going to be able to carry this off. No, he's got a really nice looking face. He's very, you know, very he's very sweet looking. I now, agree. I, yeah. Picture this because you have to imagine you have to you have to look at John Bender and look at what he was wearing in the film. Mm-hmm. Okay, I would swear to God that same outfit shows up and say anything. Um, when you look at it, because John John Cusack is wearing that as Lloyd Dobler when he's standing there with the with the boombox above his head, he's got that flannel. long jacket on. Does he have you know, a flannel? Uh, I don't think he has a flannel, but I mean it's almost identical with that long jacket, and he's standing there, and I'm kind of going, "Oh yeah, the trench coat, the trench yeah, coat, you know, the jeans, and the you know." Very hello, that was, can you imagine that trying to be a tough guy? Yeah. I sure as hell can't. It, no. it just wasn't going to work. And it was like, yeah. okay, you know. Uh, Rick Moranis, he was going to actually play as the janitor. He was going to pick up his Carl. Oh. And he kind of said, you know what? I really don't like the way this is going. I don't get to be, you know, myself. And he left due to creative differences. Really? He said, screw it. John Kaplos came and replaced him, which oh. I kind of think was good because, you know, at the time he was playing kind of the nerdy guys. You know, he just finished with uh, Ghostbusters. Because yes. Ghostbusters came out in 84. Yes. And so he's kind of that, oh, yeah, kind of guy. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. I was this dirty little guy running around out here, you know. And so for him to play the janitor, he could have pulled it off. But at the same time, I think he saw that he was bigger than that. I think so. I think so. Going from Ghostbusters to just a bit role in another, yeah. I, I yeah. Why he, you know, ego kind of maybe was a little bit at play there. But I, I agree with that assessment. I you think. know, I, I don't know if it was ego. I mean, I, I just don't think that he was – Looking at this, knowing this, I don't think he would have been the right fit for this part. Yeah, you're right. You know, uh, you know, I, I already discussed Hughes getting angry and pissed off. Uh, he actually now Hughes was supposed to be the uh, he, this was actually supposed to be his directorial debut. Oh, really? And he actually was kind of having a fight with the studios to try and get them to allow him to do this. Uh, and the studios were kind of like, look, you really don't have any experience as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. You know, we know you as a screenwriter and whatnot because yeah. you wrote Vacation. You wrote all these other films here. Great. And he was like, well, I really want to direct. Yeah. And so he's like, okay, fine. You know, he went He went and he argued to investors. He says, look, I can cut this down to – I can cut the budget on the film down to a million bucks. Wow. We can do one single location shoot. Yeah. Risks involved, they're going to be basically nil. Yeah. And look at what's happened. You know, it's become this huge film. It's rated yes. as one of the top high school films of all time. Awesome. Yes. So, I... 
you know, yep. it's kind of that interesting thing on this is that he comes out with this. And he said that he goes, you know, I was kind of worried that because this was going to be my directorial debut, he said, you know, I wrote it one you know, film, I wrote it one room, one location, mm-hmm. wrote it about high school students uh, who'd be played by younger actors. And he basically just goes, you know what, I'm going to go with this. Uh-huh. So it was kind of nice in that. He actually started shooting in, in uh, 1984. Oh, really? uh, May, March of 84, ended in May of that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took place at Maine North High School in Des Moines, or Des Plaines, Illinois. I thought Des Plaines, it was- Illinois. It took place there, or was it filmed there? It was it was filmed there. Okay, I was going to say because I think it, it it took place at Shermer Shermer High. I think yes, was the name of, yes, which was yeah. f- a fictional, yeah. Right, but believe it or not, it was the same school, the same set that they used for Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes, I think I remember seeing that and thinking it looked awfully familiar. Yes, and there are signs. There are signs in the in the uh, in the halls and stuff that you see. Mm-hmm. They're the same signs that were in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You know what? They're you're still absolutely there. right. And now that I'm looking at it, you're right. And I didn't – it was something that was kind of in the back of my mind. I'm going, this looks really, really familiar. Now that I've just seen Ferris Bueller, I'll be darned. Now, mm-hmm. the, the reason for that is the reason that you see the, some of the same signs is because the, the films were filmed back-to-back at the same location. Ah, mm-hmm. He was doing that to cut costs, to save costs on the movies. Try and keep budgets low for it all. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So it kind of worked out that that was what was going on. So the mm-hmm. excellent, mm-hmm. excellent timing in his, you know, his mind with the way that he worked it all out. Oh yeah, worked out great for him. Now that actually that school had actually closed about a year before he started filming. Oh. Uh, and that that library that they were filming in, mm-hmm. that actually wasn't a library. That was actually the school gym. Oh. And the set designers came in, dressed it up to make it look like a library, built everything up. So they oh. could get everything together. Okay. Uh, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, it was an awfully know. big library. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, what they had at the library for the school, it was actually, you know, they walked in. They're like, look, this is too small. We need something bigger. Yes. And so they built it all together. Uh, the actors did actually rehearse with each other uh, for about three weeks. And this mm-hmm. is something that's kind of odd. Most films don't shoot sequentially. This yeah. film was. It, it, they f- shot it. From start to finish, in that order. I believe I remember hearing something or reading something about that. Yeah, very cool. So I thought that was kind of neat that 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 happened. Usually, you get it where they'll shoot, you know, they'll try and get the same type of scenes together in the same areas all in one night if they can, mm-hmm. or, you know, all in one location at the same time mm-hmm. over a couple of days so that they can film it all and be done with it, and then move on to the next location. So they filmed it all as it's happening. You know, all in order, and then I we talked talked about this earlier, but now am I correct in saying that most of this movie was improvised? A good portion of it was, yes. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it did. I think if I remember if I remember correctly, he basically just said, "Okay, sit around," especially like in the light in the scene where they're all sitting around and smoking, which was pretty, you know, pretty deep, pretty thought provoking, and in some parts it was really funny. It was very well done, but I that that one scene where they're you know, in the library and they're sitting down and they're just kind of shooting the shit about each other. Yes. That one in particular, I think John had just said, you know, Hughes had just said, just get together and just talk about whatever comes up and just go with it and just yeah. try to try to find some core interest or something that you can all relate to and just go for it. And it was, it was executed brilliantly. Yeah. I mean, you know, he still had some stuff there and he kind of says, here's your plot line. Run yeah. with it. So yeah, exactly. You know, they, was, an, they all did an excellent job. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, even though that they were some of them were older than their act- than the characters that they were playing, you know. Yeah. Nelson was like I want to say he was 23 or 20 21 or 23 uh-huh. when he was filming this movie. Yes. Early uh, 20s. Uh-huh. You know, you had Estevez who was I want to say he was 19 uh-huh. when the film was done. Uh-huh. Uh Sheedy was a little she was like 19 or 20 as well. You know, they were younger actors, but they were still like the only ones that really kind of fit into the roles that I could see were Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall. Yes, Molly Ringwald actually was the youngest of the cast, and I was watching these special features on the DVD last night, and they were and Ali Sheedy was talking about Molly Ringwald and how they were they're, they're five years apart in age, so I guess that would make um, Ali about twenty one at the time of filming, and uh, I, I believe. No, no, maybe maybe 21, 22, because Molly Ringwald was probably 16, 17 at the filming. Um, and they were, she was talking about just how impressed all of the uh, cast was at how mature and how grounded Molly was and how she didn't seem to be 16. You know, the way she yeah. carried herself, the way that she interacted with people, she was the utmost professional. Um, and so she was just really talking Molly up about how impressed they all were with her and how she seemed so much older. And so she kind of related to all of the characters. Out, you know, all of the characters off camera because she was, yes, she was the youngest, but she had the maturity level that where she could actually, they all interacted well together. Um, but yeah, as far as like chronological age, yeah, she and Anthony Michael Hall, again, were the closest to high school age. Um, but I believe that they all did an excellent job of kind of tapping into the high school teenage persona. Um, and it just, it went, it went off so well. They all clicked so well. Yeah. I mean, it's just everything kind of fit together with this film. It's just, oh. you know, with the exception of Judd Nelson, I mean, I, I still think that he was an asshole in the film and he was kind oh, of, the, totally, totally. even at the end, he kind of stood out, you know? Oh yeah. Despite and I have the, to say, um, not to inter and not to inter- interrupt, but, um, also in the special features, they were talking about what's the uh, actor, uh, John Capellos that did the, the played Carl. Yes. They actually intentionally kept John Hughes actually intentionally kept him apart from the rest of the cast. Um, so he didn't socialize with them. He didn't get to know them before filming. He didn't interact with them. So the scene where he comes in, his his key scene when he first comes in with his little you know janitor cart and he's talking to them and saying, "Oh yeah, that clock's twenty minutes fast." All of that was done, and he had never talked to them before. Wow! I thought that, I thought that was very very cool. I was like, and, and the purpose of that was apparently to separate him and to keep him kind of at a distance and to and to make it to where they didn't have a rapport that okay here's you know i'm an adult i'm working i'm you know i'm a janitor here but i i know you guys i i look through your lockers i look through your letters i know all your personal business but it was kind of a way to make it to where he wasn't really their buddy but yet he was still he was still buddy enough with them it was a very interesting dynamic, and that yeah. was what John Hughes was trying to capture with that. But I'm like, huh, you'd think that he would have, you know, wanted to so, you know, socialize with them, get to know them, but no. But that was kind of yeah. weird. I mean, it, it's good in that respect. Because, again, you're, yeah. getting the, you're getting that view, and it, it did show on camera. Knowing that now, I can yeah. see where it showed. Yes. So. I think that there was a point, and there's also a scene he also did with um, Vernon – when Vernon was kind of snooping through the school files when he wasn't supposed to be there. And then Carl walks in and is like, what are you doing, Dick? What are you doing down here? Looking through the confidential files. And apparently a lot of that was improv and Richard or the actor who plays Vernon was pretty upset because there was a part of that where 
Carl says, hey, you know, give me 50 bucks and I won't tell. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently that was not in the script. So <laughs> apparently he kind of surprised and there, and there actually is a genuine look of shock on Vernon's face. And that was not acted. That was real. Uh, 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 gee, where what? am I going to go with this? 50 what? bucks? Then, um, yeah. 50 okay. Bucks, tell. Yeah. So he threw that out. And Vernon was like genuinely shocked when they filmed that. And then after the fact, you know, Capellas was saying, yeah, he kind of ripped me a new one after, after the camera stopped because he was not expecting that. And I threw him for a loop and he let me have it. So I was like, hmm. So a lot of this movie, a lot of this movie was improvised. Well, now I do have to bring up, since we're going to talk about John Capellas getting ripped up, uh, <laughs> when they were going through and they were doing this, he actually did, you know, he did spoke to speak to the actors and he said, you know, guys, look, really, he jokingly said this. He goes, don't overdo your intensity. Yeah. Uh, and he, he was laughing when he said this. He goes, Martin Sheen once suffered a heart, a, a serious heart attack while filming Apocalypse Now. Oh, that's right. Now, for those of you who don't know, Emilio yeah. Estevez uh-huh. is the son of Martin Sheen. Exactly, exactly. He kind of flipped out over this whole remark. Capelos uh, yeah. was then, he was kind of like, oh, shit, uh, Martin Sheen's your dad? Oh, oh, crap. Okay. Oh. So, you know, he, he was like, I am so sorry. I didn't know. I honestly had no idea that that was your dad. Yeah. He yeah. apologized. <laughs> Estevez accepted his apology and filming was unaffected by it. Uh-huh. Uh, but Capelos did say years later that he still felt terrible about what he said, oh. even though he hadn't any idea about the connection between Sheen and Estevez. Well, most people wouldn't. I mean, they have two different last names, but of course, they yes. show names. But yeah, yes. most people don't know. Yeah. Well, now, it, it gets better because when Capelos guest starred on the West Wing in, in 1999, mm-hmm. uh, he, Martin Sheen was the president in the West Wing. Yes. And he tells Martin Sheen this story, and Sheen, Sheen actually started laughing about it. Oh, and he goes, wow. oh, this is great. He goes, I, I, he goes, you know, he says, I wish I'd been able to sit there and see the look on my son's face. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so Martin didn't have any problem with it. But yeah, and, and it so, an you know. Mistake. Yeah, yeah, and so Capelos, he said, he goes, you know, I felt a small amount of relief over this, you know. Yeah. He goes, you know, yeah. it, it's been eating me up inside alive, you know, and finally have this chance to kind of get it off my chest. And the fact that you're laughing at that helps. <laughs> yes, very cool. So I just, I thought that was kind of funny, especially since you're saying yeah. that he got ripped a new one by. Um, by the, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What's the actor's name that plays Vernon? Uh, uh, let me see here. I, you know, I wish I could remember off the top of my head and I'm horrible with this. Paul Gleason. Paul Gleason, yes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, you know, just one of those things, you know, one of those little trivia points that kind of came up. Uh-huh. Uh, now, something else that I do want to bring up here with, with the poster. Uh-huh. Uh, the movie poster itself, where you see the five kids and they're they're kind of positioned appropriately. That yeah. was actually taken by uh, famed photographer Annie Leibovitz. Uh-huh. Uh, she actually kind of did that towards the end of shooting and the shot of the five actors where they're kind of just staring at the camera and kind of glaring with this, you know, whatever pissed off kind of look, uh-huh. it actually influenced the way tel- teen films were marketed from that point on. So done. kind of a huge turning point. When you look and you see, you know, pretty in pink with the way that their, their movie poster was, yes. and you see, you know, you see John Cryer and you see Molly Ringwald and you see mm-hmm. Anthony McCarthy and they're kind of, you know, Andrew McCarthy and they're kind of looking at the poster with this moody look on their face yes exactly there's no real emotion other than just kind of the teen angst i guess would be a good way of putting it it's just very yeah yeah, very subtly yeah very all of that all of that spun off from the breakfast club 
of it. You know, I don't know if The Breakfast Club was like considered like the first quote unquote teen movie, but I'd be willing to bet one of the first. Oh, I mean, yeah. well, before that, no, there was Porky's and yeah, uh, you had Porky's, yeah. you had Sixteen Candles, you had that's true. You know, but it, yeah, there was, but I'm um, yeah, that's very cool that that was done in such a way. To, and you're right. Now you look at the, like American Pie and all these other teen movies, quote unquote. God, I hate that expression because it's just to me it's kind of condescending. Um, yeah. you, know, you don't you don't say adult movies. Well, I guess you can, <laughs> different genre. But yeah, it just seems kind of weird to me. But that's true. They're the posters all have a certain feel to them. Yeah. Uh, now, I'm going to let you go ahead. You said you had fash- uh, You said that you had some fashion stuff that you wanted to cover. And when we get done with that, we'll jump into trivia. So yeah. take it away with the fashion stuff. Okay, the fashion. One of the, my favorite parts of looking at these old, you know, 70s, 80s movies. Um, I thought that it was very well done in this particular movie um, because each one of them represented a. I hate to use the word class, but each one of the characters represented a different class and the outfits kind of reflected that I thought very, very well. Um, you had Claire and she had kind of a pink V neck shirt, you know, very, it looked very expensive. Um, the long Brown skirt, the Brown boots, Brown leather jacket, her hair was kind of curled a little bit, kind of like Miss Pris, um, very minimal makeup. You know, she was very sophisticated. I thought, and I looked at her, and I and she was very, very pretty in this movie. Um, in yes, she Can- was. <laughs> you agree? I, I, you know, I, I think she's a pretty girl anyway. Um, maybe not necessarily now because I haven't seen her, but I've heard. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> um, in Sixteen Candles, she was cute, and I would say she was pretty, but it was pretty understated, and she was more cutesy. In this one, she was very, very pretty. Um, yes, and, so, and very sophisticated. Um, and Allison, you know, just dark, just dark all around. Very dark, you know, very pale skin, lots of eye makeup, uh, the long dark coat, you know, the scarf, the and there's all these things, you know, that just was just dark, her dark hair. Um, and I don't, I don't know if it was like meant to be goth per se. I don't know if goth was even really out at that particular time. Um, early mid eighties. I don't know if goth was even around, well, but yeah, you kind of had it with some of the punk, the punk rock era and the new waivers and stuff. Yeah. And I don't it know. It was kind that... of the start of that movement. Yeah. And I saw an interview with her, where, uh, Ali Sheedy, where she was saying, I didn't really want to pull off goth necessarily, but I wanted to pull off depressed and I wanted to pull off separated and isolated and, um, just very, very, you know, suicidal temperamental. And I think she did a pretty good job with that. Yeah. Um, and let's see, Andrew, of course, you know, being the athlete, he had the hoodie, he had the muscle tank, the jeans. The, you know, the, the Letterman's jacket, which kind of fit yes. right in with everything. Yeah. Yes. And so he, you know, that was that was perfect. And he had the bod for it. I have to say, I was checking him out. I'm going, oh, my God. He he was hot. Just um, admit it. You were checking <laughs> out the package to see how big the schlong was. Come on, we know it. Admit it. <laughs> I was checking out the entire, like the total package. And he, you know, and even now he's aged very well too. So he's an attractive man, um, just like his brother Charlie. You know, they're both attractive men. Um, yeah. I happen to think Emilio has fared better in terms of his personal life and, you know, staying out of the tabloids. Yeah. And, you know, but, but Emilio, yeah, he was hot. And, and he definitely fit the athlete, you know, the muscles and yeah. the good physique. Um, and then Brian, he had, I think, khakis and a sweatshirt and sneakers and did, did look kind of dorky. I'm kind of curious why they didn't put him in glasses. I think that if they had put him in glasses, it would have accentuated the nerd factor a little bit. 
I, I uh, think that they were kind of trying to stay away from that because, again, they were trying to fit him as just a smart kid, but not necessarily a geek. That's I mean, true. That's true. Because, yeah, I mean, even in 16 Candles, he played a geek and he didn't wear glasses and he was yeah. off brilliantly. Um, but, yeah, that, he looked – yeah, somebody who was a brain but necessarily was not into the latest fashions. You can you know, you know, can tell. And yeah. then ben, Bender, of course, I think that his outfit – kind of spawned a whole, you know, the whole grunge thing going oh, on yeah. in the early, early 90s. You know, the flannel shirt, the jeans, the boots, the long trench coat. He had a scarf. He had... The, the he workout had, gloves that were fingerless, which I thought was yes, kind of an odd touch, but... <laughs> it was an odd touch. It was very, like, Madonna-esque, I thought. Yes. It was like very, and, of course, Madonna was big at that time. And then he had pierced ears, and just, it was very... I don't really know eclectic. I don't really know what word to use for that. Eclectic and kind of rebel. I mean, that's, that's the best way to put it. It was just, I don't want to fit into one particular style. No. And, but I thought that it was very well done and he pulled it off and I I can't see John Cusack doing that. I can't see, you know, so I think that it was as far as the casting, I think that Judd Nelson was perfect for that. Um, But I just, I saw that outfit and I'm going, you know, we kind of grew up with seeing guys wear those kind of outfits, you know, definitely Seattle grunge and, you know, all of that. Oh, yeah. Um, very, very well done. But each one of them had their own unique style, which completely fit with their character. And so I thought in, yes. in particular that it was very, very well done in terms of the of the styling of this. Yeah, um, and even when we see Ali Sheedy, when she goes from being the, being the you know, shut-in yeah. closet you know, introvert, and she kind of opens up. We still see this hot fashion come out on her, which I, I oh. was kind of surprised by. Yes. In fact, I, I saw an interview actually with Ali Sheedy about this, and she was talking about the character. And she had point, and somebody had said, well, why was she wearing white? You know, she was all dark. What happened? Did she have a white shirt underneath it? And she said, yes. She said that she had discussed it with Hughes before that, and she had worn the white tank top or whatever it was underneath all that black it's kind of a, you know, it was, a, it was a contrast thing, but also it was kind of a way to kind of peek into Allison's psyche in terms of, I really, really want to be light. I really want to be happy. I really want to be beautiful. I really want to be pure. So it was kind of an intentional move on Ali Sheedy's part that, you know, because she said, yeah, I could have stayed in my black. She could have just fixed up my face, but I didn't want her to just fix up my face. I wanted her to fix my hair, my makeup and just completely change my outfit, pull my hair back with a white headband, have my white tank top on underneath. So that was a deliberate move on Ali Sheedy's part for her character, that it was kind of a way to say that, you know, that Allison really did want to be different. She wanted to be happy. She wanted to be beautiful. Um, So I thought that was kind of a neat little two cents there. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that they did a great job kind of messing up her hair and putting all that black shit all over her eyes. And, and then the transformation was just like, wow, (laughs) it was very, very well done. And the makeup was very understated and just very, very beautiful. And you got to see her face and that was all part of it. It was all planned out. Very cool. Um, and along with that, along with the fashion, which I thought went very, very well, um, the lunches that they had. I don't know if you remember the, the, the lunch scene. Um, <laughs> I had to laugh because everything that they had oh. to eat. 
once again, it matched their characters, just like oh, their yeah. clothes. You know, Claire eating the sushi. And <laughs> just, it was like, oh yeah. my God. And she like pulls it all out of that little bag. And I want to yeah. say the bag said like Ralph Lauren or something on there. I forget yes. what the what the brand was. Yeah, exactly. It was but she's pulling... Everything. You know, she's pulling everything out. She pulls a little soy bottle out and she pours it into the thing and pulls a pair of chopsticks out that are like perfect, you know, perfectly nice, you know, accentuated chopsticks. And it's like. It was brilliant. It was so, it was so delicate and so sophisticated and how she did this. And, you know, Andrew with his huge lunch, it was just like, oh my God. Um, You know, and. That was just crazy. I was looking at all that food and I'm going, oh my God, that is enough food to feed my three kids for a week. You know? <laughs> just like, oh my God. And then Andrew, or uh, not Andrew, uh, Bender had nothing, which I thought was, you know, pretty telling as well. Um, and Allison having that weird sandwich. I don't know what else she had besides a sandwich and a drink. I don't know. And then Brian having the standard regular lunch, you know, the thermos of soup and you know, totally geeky, totally nerdy, you know, the sandwich with the crust cut off and the apple and the cookies and all of that, you know, a, a, a kid lunch is what I think of it. You know, a little, a little kid lunch. Um, yeah. So I thought, I thought that was interesting too, that yeah, not just the outfits, but the lunches that they had kind of mirrored their personalities and their personas. Yeah, it's just, you know, it was kind of interesting with all that. I mean, you know, especially when Bender's sitting there making fun of him for eating, like, what yeah. was it, bologna and, you know, bologna and apple juice. And, yeah, the sandwich uh, cut off, you know, but he didn't have anything. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, Jesus Christ, Andrew had so much food. Why didn't he give some to Bender? I, you know, I don't well, know. he was that athlete. He had to maintain all his carbs and his protein. Yes, very true. Very Whatever. true. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I just, I look at that now, I'm going, from a mom's standpoint, I'm like, oh my God, that was enough food to feed my kids for a week. Oh, Travis. Yeah. <laughs> um, and other than that, I'm pretty much done with the fashion, but I did feel, I did feel in this movie partic- in particular that it was very noteworthy that they all dressed and mirrored their characters very, very well. Yeah, and you know, I gotta say this. And, you know, we mentioned Molly Ringwald looked pretty good in this movie. Yeah. I think this was probably the the one where she looked the hottest to me, you know. You think so? Seeing those, little, seeing those little leather boots that she was wearing, uh-huh. you know. And I got to bring this up because it just – it was one of these things that kind of – when I saw it, I was kind of like, huh, I never would have thought she was that type of girl. What's that? When we, see the, the, when we see the scene where Judd Nelson is hiding under the desk and he turns and he looks and he sees her panties. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I always thought of her being, you know, less of the white cotton panties type and more of like, you know, the the dark lacy type thing that would hide with, you know, the, the string up her butt or something. Ah, oh, well, see, in the movie, see, she's a virgin. So you notice that the panties were white and lacy and all pretty. But even then, it, I, I still thought that she might have had that little bit of a dark side to her hiding, you know, that she wanted yeah. to let that out. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think that she did. I think that honestly, this character was was meant to be completely, completely innocent. And I thought it was very interesting too that towards the end she kisses uh, Judd Nelson's character on the neck. I was like, hmm, you know, that's kind of um, provocative a little bit. You yeah. know, she could have kissed him on the cheek. She could have, you know, even given him a peck on the lips. She kissed him on the neck. I thought that was very. It's almost like she was wanting, you know to kind of break away from that um but yeah i believe the white panties was intentional you know that that and then you know i i will mention since we talked since you just talked about the kiss Uh uh-huh at the very end when we see ali sheedy's character kind of 
for lack of a better word, better way to put it, she blossomed out into something. She came out of her shell and became something yes. that she wasn't before. Uh-huh. And we see her and Andrew making out in, in the, um, you know, outside of the school. Uh-huh. And I kind of thought, because they kissed and then his dad drove up. Uh-huh. And I kind of thought, you know, shit, if that was my dad, he would have gone, oh, who's the hot piece of ass? Yes. You yes. know? Uh-huh. I would at least. I mean, I would have thought that his dad would have said something like that. You know who? You know, and there was the no reaction. He, he looked at yeah. her, and that was it. It was like, hmm, okay, yeah. I thought that was interesting too. That it was just there was no, you know, there was no discussion about it. Now, if that were me, on the flip side, you know, I never dared to kiss anybody in front of my parents. Or if, if I knew yeah. that my parents were going to be coming up to pick me up, hell no, we're going to be barely holding hands. You know, I'm going to be little Miss yeah. Prude. You know, so on the flip yeah. side, I was like, damn, he's you know here, you know, they are kissing. You know, and, and they in Molly Ringwald even you know kissing with the mom or dad sitting there. I'm going, that's pretty damn ballsy. I wouldn't have done that, but you know, <laughs> it, it, you know, it was just it's kind of like one of those things because I know my parents would have ridiculed me and just made fun of me. Oh. You know, well, it, and that's the way my parents were. Is that they? My mom would. My mom used to joke about stuff like that all the time. Like, you know, she she made fun of me. Oh, you know, you should go. You know, you should go hot and heavy with this type of person. Oh, getting getting a kiss type thing. And I'm like, oh god. So my mother, you know, thank you, thank you, mom, for ruining my dating life when I was younger. I swear I will never do that to my kids. Oh god, I just yeah, I would have gotten reamed. So there was no way. You know, don't look at a boy sideways. I'm gonna catch it. You're gonna get your ass reamed. So yeah, Yeah. I was completely respectable if I knew my parents were gonna be nearby. It was not. um, But yeah, it's. God, this movie was just so was just so well done. I yeah. I like I liked it from start to finish. There were so many memorable parts of it. But the one thing though, I have to bring up now that we're talking about Bender and Claire, mm-hmm. they hated each other throughout the freaking movie. And then I'm trying to figure out in the course of this when did it change between them? When did they start to kind of like each other? It's not really all that it's not really brought up. It's not really addressed. When does, when did they start? Cause like she yells at him and says, I hate you. Cause he's, you know, he's making fun of her. And then like in the next scene or the next scene after that, she's kissing him on the neck and I'm going, did I miss something? I don't <laughs> I think <laughs> that she kind of, I think that he kind of had her number and he was kind of like calling her out and, and she was kind of the, I hate you because she realized that she actually does have a soft spot for this guy and she doesn't want to admit it to herself. I, you know, that's something that even still that all these years I've watched it and I've been like, how did the, how did this go from, I hate you to them kissing and, and giving away her earring? I don't get it. She, she wanted the bad boy, you know, and that's, uh-huh. come on. How many uh-huh. times, how many bad boys did you want in high school? Quite a few. That's true. Okay. But, so, so maybe, so maybe him. And, and I have to also interject too, when he's under the desk and he's looking at her panties, what exactly, oh, yeah. what exactly happened? Did he bite her or did he, what did I'm, he do? I'm thinking he did, you know, I think that he might've licked her leg or something like that, or tried to get his, his nose into her crotch or something. I think there was a sound effect. There was yeah. a sound effect and it sounded like, like he bit her. I don't know because you think that she would have reacted with an owl, you motherfucker, and would have beat the shit out of him even with the, you know, with yeah. burning there. But yeah, I'm wondering if maybe he just did put his put his, you know, face up to it. Well, I mean, he he was looking and it was pretty like, oh damn. Hey, uh, I was uh, doing that sitting there watching and going, oh, shit, this is actually kind of decent. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a decent view. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is 
is very interesting, though, that there was a sound effect there. And it just kind of leads you to wonder, okay, what exactly did Bender do to her? Did he touch her there? Did he kiss her? Did he lick her? Did he bite her? What happened? But, yeah, she just it seemed like she was repulsed by him. And then at the end, they get, you know, they kind of get together. So it's kind of like, yeah. hmm, interesting. Well, Already moving on did. with that from the sound effects, because that's something we've always kind of tried to find in, in the John Hughes films. Yeah. I'm going to kind of bump into some of the trivia. I, I know that we had that sound effect there. We had the sound effects in the 16 candles and, and whatnot. Uh-huh. Uh, kind of moving into the trivia here, I do have some interesting things. Now, we know that John Hughes kind of had an ongoing thing with license plates throughout the films. He did. Uh, this movie is no exception with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you see Brian's mom driving up in the car to drop him off, uh-huh. we know that she's focused on him getting good grades and him being smart. Yes. The license plate on the car reads EMC2. Uh, you know what? I think I did catch that. Yes. E equals MC squared. Yes. yes. Yep. <laughs> uh, cool. Then, of course, because Andrew's father was so focused on him having a ride, having the scholarship and having the full ride and you know wrestling and all that. Mm-hmm. He wanted his son to go to a good school. License plate for his car read Ohio State. I saw that too. Yep. So one of those little one of those little tidbits. Obviously, John Hughes is trying to live on with with the films and whatnot. His little nod. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of nice. Did you see one for Claire's the, the BMW for Claire? I I saw it and I didn't write it down. Yeah, um, I wonder what that was. I saw you know, it too, but I didn't. It didn't strike me to write it down. Uh, now. Kind of going on where we were talking about Judd Nelson having an issue, uh-huh. uh, it was originally suggested that there were going to be several sequels to The Breakfast Club. Really? Basically kind of occurring every 10 years in which The Breakfast Club uh-huh. would get back together. Yeah. Uh, it really didn't come to pass because of that whole bad vibes between Hughes and Nelson. Uh-huh. Uh, Hughes basically stated, he goes, I'm never going to work with Nelson again. Uh-huh. Also, it kind of was unclear whether or not Hughes still held ill will against uh, Molly Ringwald because they had a falling out in the late 80s after Ringwald decided to move on from the teen film genre. Really? Um, Yeah, she wanted to kind of go and pursue more adult roles. Yeah. And it kind of – stuck in Hughes's craw and so they kind of you know they kind of went and he said you know I'm not casting anybody else. Oh wow. And that kind of happened with Pretty in Pink and we'll discuss that when we talk about that tomorrow. So mm-hmm. uh, now with regards to the town. Uh-huh. Shermer, Illinois does not actually exist. It's a no. fictitious a fictitious suburb of Chicago. Yep. yep. Uh shows up in several films, Weird Science, Ferris yep. Bueller's Day Off, yep. 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink. Yep. National Lampoon's Vacation. Yep. Uh, they also make fun of it. This is because I love this film in Dogma. Jay and Silent Bob, at the start of the film, they're trying to go to Shermer, Illinois, because they want to find <laughs> out where all these virgins are. And, and they said, "Yeah, we want to get some yeah. nice. We want to get some nice virgin teen pussy." Oh, you know, they're, they're going. Funny. I want some. I want some. And they said, and figuring, you know, if we couldn't get any, hey, we at least could sell some pot to these kids so they could get <laughs> off because they seem so uptight. <laughs> Awesome. So I mean, it's if you've ever seen the film, you need to watch it because they I've actually show I've they show up in front of one of the houses, and I, I want to say it's it's the house in Weird Science and um, Sixteen Candles where the party was going on. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I want to say it's that house. That they show up in front of the house, and they're like looking around. They're like, "Dude, we're here, but we couldn't find Shermer, Illinois." <laughs> you know, and so it's it's one of these things of you got to watch it if if you haven't seen it. I've seen it once, and I remember Alanis Morissette played God, right? 
Yes. Yes. Okay. So I've seen it, but that, that's the only thing I took from that movie was that. <laughs> it. I, I have to say that that's one I want to cover because I I really actually do like a lot of Kevin Smith's films. I do uh, too. I do. Too. I go I'll every year to Comic Con when he has his uh, evening with Kevin Smith type thing, Very and cool. I sit there and watch him, and he always talks. It's basically just him being kind of blue. You know, I'll yeah. admit he is blue. Uh huh. But it's he's. I don't know. He captures me, even though he's not really making a lot of films anymore, uh-huh. and he's kind of stopped. I still like the guy for who he is, for what he talks about. So yeah, he seems very real, very down to earth, not yeah. celebrity at all. Yeah, you know, yeah. and he—I'll admit—he was part of the reason that I started doing the podcast because he kept saying to everybody, "Hell, if a fat guy like me, you know, fat, ugly, bearded guy like me, can make good, and I can sit around and talk, and people want to listen to me talk." There's a spot out there for you, even if nobody's listening. You know, even if you only have, you know, five people, do it. It's mm-hmm. going to make you feel better. It's going to help save you. Trust me. Yes. I got to admit, it is. Mm, very cool. So uh, I did mention about Brian's mother dropping him off, that that was uh-huh. his real, you know, that was An- Anthony Michael Hall's mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, when Brian gets picked up at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. there's somebody who's actually fairly famous who picks him up. That's John Hughes, the director, who's sitting in the red car, that red oh, Ford LTD really? picking him up. Okay, I'll have to watch that again. I didn't really pay attention to when Brian left. Yeah, he doesn't say anything at all. He's yeah. just kind of like he opens the door and Brian gets in and they, they drive off. Yeah. But that's John Hughes sitting there. I'll be darned. I didn't know that. I swear okay. to God, when you look at him, you're going to go, that guy looks kind of like Stephen King. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? God, you're right. You're right. Now that I'm picturing it, yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. How so cool. you know, I mean, that's that's the little nod there. So you'll see that if you want if you want to go through and watch it. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty much the, the main trivia that I was able to pick up on this. Uh-huh. Uh, I know that there's more. I I saw some more on IMDb, but I really didn't feel like mentioning it because it just didn't <laughs> seem to fit with everything else. I have so, one little bit. I have one little bit. Okay. Um, the quote that's at the beginning of the movie, it's a David Bowie quote. And yes. I don't exactly know. Is it from a song? I don't know if it's something he said. Um, yeah, uh, it's – oh, God. I can't remember the name of the song. But it is from one of his songs. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe Changes, I think. I, it might I'm be not Changes. Sure. It might be Changes. Um, the reason that came about, um, Ali Sheedy actually came to Hughes with the quote. Um, showed him the quote and basically you know he was kind of was busy and just kind of was like oh huh interesting okay cool and then she told you know she said in an interview she said I was so shocked because I didn't think he was really impressed by it but she's like I really felt that this quote needed to be included in the movie somehow I felt that it really really fit and he kind of blew her off or whatever he was busy doing some other stuff and then when they watched the uh, when she watched the movie for the first time there it was right there at the beginning of the movie and she said that she just felt so proud that like wow okay he really didn't blow me off he really did like this quote and he chose to include it you know and, and so she and she said I said I still feel a sense of pride to this day that I was the one who came up with that quote and I gave it to Hughes and he included it in the beginning of the movie and the quote was uh, and these children that you spit on as they try to change their worlds are show, are immune to your consultations. They're quite aware of what they're going through. And I believe that that is from the song Changes. I'll have to double check that. Yeah, uh, but it, I, I, it sounds like something would be fitting right in with that. But then again, yeah. David Bowie is a we- weird person to begin with anyway. So. He is. He is. But now that, you know, when I you know, found out that little bit of trivia, I was like, that's so cool that it it was something that Ali Sheedy had come up with and approached him with. And he included that. It was very cool. Um, 
And I'm trying to think, gosh, I don't really know if I have any other trivia. I have some memorable scenes that just really stick out to me that are, you know, that are funny. This movie was not ha-ha funny at all. No. Um, but there were a couple of scenes that I actually did laugh out loud and thought, and every time I see it, I still laugh out loud. And I thought it was kind of noteworthy to mention that. Um, just because it does kind of lighten the overall mood of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the scene where um, Vernon comes in and he's berating them about something or another, because it seems like every time he comes into the room with them, he's yelling at them. Um, and there's a part where he says, you know, I will not be made a fool of. And then he turns around and walks away from the kids and he's got an ass gasket hanging out of his pants. Oh, I did not <laughs> see that. You know, he's yelling at them about something and just going off. And I think it was after Bender did something, the scene in, where he's playing basketball in the gym or something. I, I, that's what I want to say is he, you know, and he marches Bender back to the kids. And then he's saying, I will not be made a fool of. And he turns around and he's got an ass because he was in the bathroom. And that's he, right. And Bender comes in after playing basketball or something. And then he, so he's like, God damn it. So he's like hurrying to get, you know, pull his pants back up when he's in the restroom. And then he goes and talk and yells at the kids. And even still, I watch this every single time and <laughs> it just cracks me up. Well, there was that little bit of humor. there. That and then the you mess with the bull, you get the horns thing. And uh, he's like throwing up the horns on his hand. I'm just like, <laughs> OK, <laughs> exactly. It was meant to be in- intimidating but it, to me it was just hilarious <laughs> it, you know what it got you know what made me think of is here's a guy who would probably completely not fit in at all at a metal concert you know like oh, a heavy God. metal concert yeah. and he's throwing up the horns and rocking out to it and you're just like oh, no <laughs> When he did that, it was just that kind of feeling to me. And I'm like, yeah, you don't fit in at all with this. Just stop. (laughs) That's funny. And then I thought it was also memorable. Um, When, in your opinion, did you feel like the group started to kind of let go of their awkwardness and really become friends? Because to me, it didn't really, again, it was also something that didn't really become clear to me, kind of like, you know, Claire and Bender kind of getting together. Um, I just, I was trying to think, I'm like, okay, when did the awkwardness kind of go away? Was it, you know, I think what it was, they were sneaking out to try and get the pot. Cause they were kind of like, you know, okay, we're going to do this and we're just going to kind of, you know, they didn't know why he had to go to his locker that he just had to yeah. get something and kind of around that time on in the movie, huh? Because uh, I, I would say it was probably about halfway through actually. Okay, because I was thinking that, you know, what occurred to me was the scene when they um, were whistling together, when Bender started whistling that song, and they all kind of pitched in, and I don't know when in the movie that yeah, was. They started was... to whistle together, and it was kind of a cute little song, and then he goes, and then he whistles when Vernon comes walking in. I can't whistle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was really cute. And that kind of put a smile on my face. I thought it was kind of cute. And then when he comes, you know, and I, I laughed, of course, when Vernon walks in and he goes, do, 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 do. I can't whistle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was hilarious. So I laughed out loud at that. But the, I, I'm wondering if that was kind of when, for me, they kind of started to kind of bond a little bit. But definitely with the pot. The pot was the one thing that they needed to kind of unwind and be themselves. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. You know, so, and that was a hilarious scene, too, when they're laughing and, you know, 
playing around when they're high or whatever. And I'm so popular. Everyone loves me. And you know, yeah. <laughs> so when they were, you know, first getting high, I thought that was really cute too. And I laughed at that, but it was a kind of, it was a light humorous moment, which I felt that the movie did need. And I, in my opinion, it probably could have used a few more of those light moments. Um, but well, it, and I know that they did have like there was there was the scene where Judd Nelson is sneaking through the dropped ceiling. Yes, oh, and he's, yes. he's crawling out there, and that he falls hilarious. through the ceiling. And it was oh, okay. Shit. <laughs> I'm going to give this out. He's he's trying to tell a joke while he's crawling through there. Yes, that's right. There was no punchline for that joke. He just started <laughs> ad libbing that whole thing. Yes. Now here's the other thing with that is that. When he fell through the ceiling and he came tearing in to go, what the hell was this ruckus? What the hell was this noise yeah. going on? Yeah. Why the hell didn't he see the ceiling, the hole in the ceiling? I know. I know. I thought that too. I'm going, this man, infuriatingly unobservant. Yes. I thought the same thing. No. But you know, it's it's just one of those things that I still think about it. I'm kind of like, you're a dumbass. <laughs> you're a dumbass. Well, even just like I mentioned earlier, they're running away from him in the scene after he get they get the pot. You wouldn't, you know, they, you know, they would have been heard. I mean, running through the hallway yeah. as loud and as fast as they were running, and he was there in the hallways cruising around the school. You'd think he would have seen him or heard him. Yeah. To me, that still bothers me. Even at eight years old, I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. This is this is not accurate. Unless he had headphones in, he had to have heard them. Come on, you yeah. know. Um, so there's a few little plot holes, but yes, that's right. The scene where he's walking through the ceiling and he's telling that joke and that was all ad-libbed. That was yeah, all. They were actually, he was trying to think of a, you know, they were trying to come up with a joke and he was just, they were trying to have a punchline for it that when he fell through the ceiling, uh, that he was going to give the punchline to the joke, uh-huh. but nobody could think of a punchline. So they just kind of left it out while it, they left him telling the joke and that was it. And it was like, yeah. nah, screw it, you know? It's actually brilliant because he's like, oh, shit! And it, just, it was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it was perfect. Um, but, yeah, that was another uh, – and then I have to say, the library dance scenes, they were – while they're smoking pot. Oh, yeah. The, that was a what-the-fuck moment for me. Yeah, uh, especially, especially when uh, Emilio Estevez closes the door while he's in there smoking yes. the pot and then, like, screams yes. and shatters the door. Yes, really? I mean, really? I, yeah. That one panel of glass shatters and none of the other glass panels around him shatter? Exactly. And they even hmm. knew when they shot that that it was ultimate cheese. And they even addressed that in the commentary that, you know what, we knew this was going to, you know, be kind of dumb. We put it in there anyway just for laughs, you know, just for yeah. the cheese factor. But it's just like, oh, my God, really? And then, yeah, the da- I mean, the dances were cool. And I don't know what the what the whole point of it was is just to show them beginning getting more comfortable with each other, becoming happy because they're high because you know they're I don't know, but I'm just like okay, if yeah. I'm going to be smoking pot in the library, I'm not going to be dancing around, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you know. Me. But it was cute. But I just kind of thought, what's the point of this? Uh, yeah. I, you know, I don't know. It was it was weird. Yeah. I mean, now I do have to bring up. Something that I did laugh about was when they had the pot hidden, and he oh. he gave it to him, and he shoved it down. He shoved it down the front of um, uh, Anthony Michael Hall's pants, and he's like, That's "Here, awesome. hide this," you know. And then the principal walks in. The sister principal walks in, and he goes, "Hey, you're probably going to do your dope." No, sir, my dope is in the front of you know Brian's <laughs> pants. That's right, in Johnson's underwear. Yeah, that's awesome. And he kind of like looks at, like you see look on Hall's face, <laughs> yeah, you know, the front of Johnson's face is like, 
huh, shit, shit, he's going to catch me. Oh, my God. You know, you just see that look on his face. It's like, uh. Exactly. That was that was funny as well, too. And, yeah, you think he's cool? Do you think he's funny? You know, um, yeah. it just, yeah, there were some scenes that were. Yeah, and I yeah, I wish that I knew exactly what scenes were improvised. All I know of is for sure the, you know, smoking scene when they're, you know, in the round, you know, talking about why they got into detention, that very serious yeah. scene that was improvised. And I know that the scene with, you know, um Carl and Vernon was improvised. And uh, but my understanding is yeah, I'd say probably a good maybe 75% of it was probably improvised. Uh, yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps it up for us here. Um, I, I don't have anything more really for us to go on unless you have something more you want to add. Not other than one other thing, one other memorable scene, um, the scene with Bender and Vernon in his office or the, it was either the office. Actually it was the broom closet, wasn't it? Um, I really liked that scene, even though I didn't like the fact that it was Vernon being abusive essentially to Bender. Um, but I, li- I thought that Judd Nelson pulled it off brilliantly where you could see John's vulnerability mm-hmm. and him retreating, you know, like a little kid and just not saying anything. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't combative. He wasn't responding at all. He, he looked almost co- uh, comatose in that scene. And I, I watched it and that was the first time that I really began to feel sympathy for his character. I really he became real to me in that scene and very sympathetic. And I just, I felt very, very bad for him. I thought, you know, this poor kid is just, he's going through, he's so damaged. There's so much wrong here. Oh, um, yeah. And, and Vernon being in a position of authority totally took advantage of that. And that's what I did not like about that. Um, but it just, I, I felt that that was a very good scene overall just because it did show, okay, John is really not, he's a cocky asshole in your face, you know, prick, but there's, there's a vulnerability there. There's a reason for that. There's, he's got some real issues here. He's, he, he deals with, you know, abuse on a daily basis. So it kind of made you wonder, okay, is this how he responds at home when, when his dad's wailing on him, you know, not saying anything, kind of retreating into himself. A lot of abuse victims do that. So it just, I thought that that was very important that he was included that scene as well. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and close this off here so we can finish this out for today. All right. Uh, I do want to say that this wraps it up for this episode of Talking About My Generation. Uh, please feel free to leave us feedback on iTunes. Send us a tweet. I am at S-P-R-Z-O-U-T. And you have your tweet. I am at Mommy of Three Seagirls. Okay. Uh, you can also send us an email at mygenerationpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, or you can find us at Facebook at Talking About My Generation. Uh, and then we also do have, I want to let everybody know that we do have our website at MyGenerationPodcast.com. Uh, you can go ahead and listen to the podcast there. Uh, we do have a streaming factor that you can go through on the, on the website. Uh, we also have Stitcher that you can listen to us, as well as iTunes, downloading it through there. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and sign off this episode. We're going to play the basically the theme song to, to The Breakfast Club, yep. Simple Mind Song, Don't You Forget About Me.
Just.